Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, welcome back to Spiro Avenue. Justin Spiro here. A lot of exciting stuff going on around town, around Detroit, up in East Lansing with the new blossoming football program up there, a basketball team that seems to have found its way. I think the Detroit Lions are objectively the the biggest story in town right now. I think that's safe to say. Dan Campbell, who is seemingly always in the news uh, for quirky, funny, silly reasons, had his, at, at this point now, infamous run-in with Jim Costa on the morning show over at 97.1. Um, I want to start with Dan Campbell. I want to revisit the whole Dan Campbell thing, because for all the the nasty DMs I get, uh, public messages, emails, people filling out our online form at SpiroAvenue.com, the the most common, I would say by far, are people that are demanding an apology for the Dan Campbell take. And I try to not gaslight myself on stuff like this. I know what I said in general about Dan Campbell, and I knew my general position, but I wanted to revisit that. And I was trying to get one clean cut, but we were doing an episode with Nick Baumgartner from The Athletic and an episode with Justin Rogers from the Detroit News and an art- and a whole show about a big article that Dave Burkett wrote in the Detroit Free Press, and I talked about it with Dave. So I had pieces kind of all over. So I've combined my comments from... The Dan Campbell hiring, it was before he had coached his first game in Detroit. These were all right in the immediate few months after the hire. So before Dan Campbell's first game, here is my collection of quotes across these various interviews. Quote, I'm not saying Dan Campbell is going to flame out or peak at five or six wins. Actually, I fully believe he can be a 10 to 11 win guy at some point in his tenure. But I see Dan Campbell as Jim Caldwell 2.0. Players love him. If the roster is good, the buy-in will be there. And a good roster playing hard is worth a lot of wins in the NFL. But in the end, it won't be enough. When the chips are down, will Dan Campbell outfox the game's best coaches on the biggest stage? Or, like Jim Caldwell in 2014, Will the moment prove too big? Okay, so in these various conversations, I laid out, and I I was sort of relieved that I I wasn't even as hard on Dan Campbell as I thought I was. Uh, My position was this wasn't going to work in a way that we haven't already seen before. Now, if you want to argue, I didn't think he would break the division streak, which was a very minor component of the overarching argument, that's fine. Um, And I will admit, Dan Campbell was a year ahead of schedule last year from where I thought they would be. But I have always said, and it's on tape, you can pull up our episode, any of those aforementioned episodes. I always said I thought this 11-win thing, you know, range could happen. And I likened him repeatedly to Jim Caldwell, who went to the playoffs multiple times. The only reason Jim Caldwell didn't win a division is because that year where they won 11 games in 2014 was a good year for the NFC North. 
Packers were really good that year. They hosted the Cowboys who had vanquished the, the Lions in the wildcard round. So am I going to kill Jim Caldwell and say, oh, what Dan Campbell did is so much more impressive just because the division was down? I mean, it just it took fewer wins. Right now, they're both at 11. I mean, that's look, I think Dan Campbell is a better coach than Jim Caldwell. But I'm just saying, when I look at what I had said, and I think this is a common thing with Dan Campbell uh, skeptics, is like we're, we're getting like people say we're moving the goalposts. No, you guys are moving the goalposts on us. I don't know that many people that said this guy is going to flame out and win three games because I've always been a Brad Holmes guy. I thought it was worth the gamble based on his resume. And I just keep seeing good move after good move. Now, a couple bad moves in there, but that's everybody. So I said, you have a, the ultimate players coach, even more so than I think we anticipated. I mean, this, this guy is, is Bill Belichick, Tom Landry. Uh, he's as good as it's ever been in the coaching profession in terms of a players coach. So you have that, and you have a GM that's built a good roster. That's not, that team's not going to go. That situation is not going to go 4-13. and 13. It's just not. So none of this really is shocking to me. They have the exact win total I said I thought they could get to at Dan Campbell's peak. The only reason you even care about winning the division is for playoff positioning. This isn't college where it's like, oh, you win your conference, it's its own banner, and you know, you win the Big Ten tournament, it's its own banner, and then you try to win the national title. Yeah, I know technically most organizations hang division banners, but like, the, does anybody sit back and like proudly recall the division champion anything in the NFL? Like, ever? Even bring it to other sports, like the NBA. Nobody cares about that shit. It's a nice thing to put up in your rafters if you're not the Lakers who only hang, well, now. Midseason tournament banners and NBA championship banners, but like I'm not saying it's nothing, but like what does a winning a division even do? Really, nothing in a vacuum. The only reason anyone should value winning the division is to the extent that it helps you succeed in the playoffs, because for one, it obviously gets you in the playoffs, which is kind of important if you want to succeed in them. But it you know, gets you the home playoff game. It, put, it puts you in a better position to find success in the playoffs. So if you win the division but don't use that earned advantage that it afforded you, what did winning the division really mean? So I'm giving myself an incomplete, in short. So far, the only thing I can feel really strongly about saying I was wrong about was their year two, which is last year, their 2022 season. I thought was going to be bad, and it looked like I was right about halfway through the year. They got hot. What was it eight and two in the last 10? So I'll admit, I mean, in a vacuum that year, like in a box, absolutely, I was wrong, objectively. I, I said the, you know, the under was a great bet. They went over objectively wrong. But at large with Dan Campbell, it's not me being stubborn. I think it's important. It's not even about me. As we look at what Dan Campbell is and the people that are, are, parading that they were right to believe in him. What point do we actually feel satisfied? Because I can only speak for myself. I can't tell you what to value. I can't tell you what to celebrate. But 
my standard has been exactly the same from the very beginning, and it's on tape. I want to win the playoff game. I said in one of them, I think it was the Burkett show, I'd rather not win the division and win a playoff game than the other way around. Again, the only reason the division and winning it has any value is to help you win in the playoffs. So if I don't win in the playoffs, of course I'd rather get in as a wild card and go on the road and win than win the division. Who cares about winning the division? So, you know, the pressure's on Dan Campbell. And this is where I'm going to get into the goalpost moving risk territory. What if they do win their playoff opener at home, which will be at home? We know that. And then get blasted in the divisional round on the road. And then never make it back to the playoffs. Were the Dan Campbell skeptics wrong then? I, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, if, you, if you're looking at this as a spectrum, okay, maybe they didn't get all the way over here in their victory. Maybe they're not all the way. Maybe it wasn't a home run, but they at least hit a double, right? So it's an incomplete. I, you know, I am a Lions fan. That's, you know, subject uh, to constant harassment from them um, in the form of them playing games at a piss poor level for almost 40 years that I've been watching. But I've endured and I, I still root for them. And I was mad as hell with the second Dallas screw job in nine years from this past weekend. So I'm, I'm not. I'm not rooting to be right here. I, I was thrilled that they outpaced my projection from last year. This year, I wavered because they stung me in the Seattle game. But I went in. So I said, they're a rightful favorite to win the division. Like, they, they should be the favorite. And they were a clear-cut, obvious favorite. So I got to see it on a real level. Now, if they go to the NFC Championship game, it, it's kind of over for for me and anyone on my side of the argument. I mean, it's, it's tough to say Super Bowl are bust, especially when the Lions are the discussion. I mean, for other teams, I am like a big title or nothing guy. I don't know how many people are looking back at the, the Leland Tigers era in terms of the playoffs and like have utter joy falling through their pores. You kind of have to pretend that Maglio's walk-off was to win the World Series and that the, the five games against St. Louis didn't happen. You kind of have to pretend that Phil Coke's slamming his glove on the ground and, and going crazy and Prince Fielder catching the, the final out was the final play of 2012. I'm not even going to talk about 2013. So, uh, yeah, there's moments, but there's no like joy there. I'm not even going to hold the Lions to that standard. I'm willing to lower the bar. Especially, I mean, Dan Campbell, I, I had a good argument with Adam Baidu, and he goes, who, who do you think is coach of the year? Is it Stefanski or? Dan Campbell. I'm the ultimate avoid the cop out guy. Like pick one idiot. They they both deserve it. Stefanski's had what four different quarterbacks that handle a sizable workload. Guy just keeps winning. But at the same time, winning the division as the Detroit Lions head coach without any like end of season drama. I mean, you want it going away. I I, I got to give you some credit for doing something. The past nine coaches have failed to do, and nobody's done in almost 40 years. So Campbell's been great. It's not about, oh, is Dan Campbell really a decent coach? He's good. 
he's an all-time great players coach. Uh, I, I'm still terrified about the in-game decision-making. I think it's insane what they did going for two from the seven. I was all in favor of going for two initially. They got screwed. You know what? I didn't even mention Dan Campbell in the entire postgame or the next day. My entire focus and fury was on the Lions being screwed, and I think that was a fair takeaway. But just because you got screwed doesn't give you an excuse to throw the game away. It made no sense to go for it from the seven, and people keep saying or from the four, but once you lined up and went for it from the seven, you were, of course, going to go from the four. But I, it's, it's insane. You got to take that game to overtime at that point. And this is not the first time Dan Campbell has done something objectively by any metric and even common sense asinine, where even his biggest defenders are saying, ooh, from the seven going for two? No. And you can't make those mistakes. The reason we're still in this mess, this long streak without a playoff win, you know, one in 60 plus years, is because, among other reasons, but Jim Caldwell in 2014, in the same exact situation where the refs fucked you, they pick up the flag 20 seconds late. There's no flag on Des Bryant for running around like a maniac with no helmet on, which was an automatic 15-yard penalty for every situation like that 10 years prior and every situation in the 10 years since. I digress. It was the same exact situation. You got completely hosed. No question. They got screwed. But even after that, they still had fourth and one in Dallas territory midway through the fourth quarter with the lead driving to go up two scores and effectively death blow end the game. And on a fourth and one, after the screw job, the picked up flag, the no DPI, Caldwell idiotically punts, which made absolutely no sense at that spot in the field in that down and distance. High, high risk for a touchback. You're looking at a net 18 to 22 yard punt unless you hit it perfectly. And one of the bad possible outcomes happened. Sam Martin shanked the punt. And they got about 15 net yards on that shit. And they lost. So yeah, they got screwed in Dallas in the 2014 season. That was a horrendous decision to pick up that flag. But that didn't excuse Jim Caldwell from fucking up the subsequent sequence and punting when you can gain one yard, and even if you don't score a touchdown and just bleed out more clock and kick a field goal and drain their ass, you're much better off than with what happened. So yeah, I, I thought there was some correlation there with Caldwell and Campbell that was interesting because this has been my comparison from the very beginning, from before Campbell's first game here, was I see them as very similar. Same stadium, same opponent, same type of situation where we all agree the rest fucked you. And on the very next play, the very next decision the coach made was objectively asinine. Going for it from the seven, punting on fourth and a yard in plus territory in that situation. Both were the immediate decision after the screw job. I was shaken. It was the same. I was there in 2014. I wasn't there this past weekend. I, I was there for that blunder. I couldn't believe they sent the punter out, even by Caldwell standard. So playoffs, yeah, there's some blowouts here and there. 
they're the outlier. Playoff games are usually pretty damn close. I mean, NFL games in general, but especially in the playoffs, it tightens up. There's no patsies. There's no, there's no scrub teams hanging around. This playoff game, and even if they win the first one, the subsequent one is going to come down to Dan Campbell doing the right thing, not the wrong thing, in one to two to three big spots. He's been shaky. He's been really shaky. So I'm not apologizing yet. It's still up in the air. But I will be the first one here with a lion's hat on and a kazoo if they go to the NFC Championship game, even if they lose that. It's, I mean, if you're on the doorstep of a Super Bowl, I mean, as the Lions coach, we've only seen that once in 60 years. Hey, you win. Doesn't mean you're going to go down as a great coach. We'll see what happens in the five years after. But like everyone's got to shut up for a long time if that happens. And if you win the Super Bowl, he can do whatever he wants and I'll, I'll carry him around on my back. So that's where I'm at on Dan Campbell. It will be an unsatisfactory reaction for most of you. Uh, it's my honest opinion. Uh, I'm constantly playing the banjo when I, I feel like I'm wrong or I've been upended in an argument and the quotes are what they are. He hasn't done anything really that I didn't predict. I, in fact, I predicted that he would hit this you know, 10 to 11 win mark. So here we are. We'll see what happens next. That's what matters, at least to me. Um, next thing, coping. Coping with Michigan's success. All the kids you know, say cope. It's like a big response on Twitter. It's a, it's a big dig. Um, how should rival fans approach this week? Um, yeah, I, I have a lot of interesting thoughts on this because I, I was not trolling. I really did not trust Michigan at all. It's not like an objective if I were you know, betting on it or just trying to assess the game. I didn't trust Michigan at all against Alabama. And I think there were valid arguments to, to be had there. Even just a ton of evidence about Nick Saban's record and coaching up when he has extra time in this specific scenario in the playoff. His record as an underdog, just his entire life in this profession. Harbaugh's complete polar opposite record where they're, they're losing as a heavy favorite in a lot of these situations. Abysmal bowl record. Uh, abysmal record of you know, extra time and how his team looked, et cetera. So, you know, then you got the Alabama brand. I mean, there were a, there are a million reasons. Then you can get into the football reasons. Blah, blah. There, there's plenty there. I don't think, like, it's funny. There were seven or eight plays in the, la in the last quarter alone that if they went the other way, Bama wins and all the Bama, you know, pickers are the ones gloating. I mean, this was not like a, you know, TCU getting worked by Georgia, Georgia working over Michigan. Uh, even though the score was deceptive, TCU working over Michigan last year. I mean, this is not like uh, neither side should be like flopping around with their, you know, chest puffed out. Like that, that was, I mean, if Michigan was such an obvious pick, why were they getting plus 500 odds with like three minutes left? <laughs> like you could have gotten, it was like plus 480, plus 500 in game with a couple minutes left. If you're a five to one underdog, like with two minutes left, that was not some, oh, we showed you that was an obvious pick. That was a coin flip in the end. Um, but the reality is they got it done. And once that happened, I did you know, acknowledge it. I said, hey, hats off to them. I didn't think they could do it. I didn't think they could come from behind in that spot. They, they hadn't been put in that situation, which is a good thing in a lot of ways. But we've seen teams buckle when they haven't taken a haymaker before in the history of sports. We've all seen this a thousand times. The first time you're really challenged, you, you can't handle it. 
Bam on the other hand has pulled like three of these out of their ass and then lost a close one against Texas. So I, I, I was wrong with that game. hundred percent. I thought Bama would win by 10 plus and I was wrong. But when I, when I acknowledge this on Twitter, my audience uh, the, of the Michigan state sect, which is by pure objective demographics, our largest portion. They were very mad at me. How dare you congratulate the cheaters and blah, 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 blah. But it's, I get it. And this is, a, this is a tough thing to navigate because Michigan does have legitimate baggage with their season and how this whole thing was built. There's legitimate stuff there to not be thrilled about. And even if you're a Michigan fan, I, I, would, I would completely ignore it now. Enjoy this. But like, once the dust settles here, there are objective, clear reasons why I'm sorry. You should be at least a little bit worried about what's coming. So I don't think it's sour grapes or asinine or conspiracy theorists. We already know the, the notice of allegations have already been released by the NCAA. We know this is a thing. We just don't know the full manifestation of it yet. So all that being said, I think it's pretty disingenuous for someone like me or, or anybody of my kin or my vibe, going, especially going into that game, I think it's pretty disingenuous for us to bump our gums for a month. And then after they, they win the game, come on here and say, or on Twitter and say, oh, fuck you, you guys cheated anyway. I, I can't do that. Because <laughs> if that's my position... I should just be indifferent to the whole thing this entire past month. I should just say, win or lose, I don't care. This whole thing is invalidated. It's, it's a sham season, whatever. If that's my position, whether you agree with that or not, like if you have that position, at least it's consistent. I can't sit here and, and make fun of your bowl record and pick Bama to win by double digits. And then when it doesn't happen, call, hey, hey, you know, cheater, liar, liar, pants on fire. I, that's pretty weak. So. You know, if you're one of the people that this whole time have said this whole thing's a bunch of bullshit and this will all be vacated or whatever, that's fine. You can maintain that position. But the fact is the vast majority of Ohio State fans and Michigan State fans that I saw, I mean, well over 90% of the two combined, thought Bama would win. We're making fun of the reaction when they got the four seed in the Michigan ballroom and all that. So I don't think it's insane. To in the immediate wake of that game, which was impressive as hell, it really was on Michigan's part to come back from down like that. Uh, they were on death's doorstep, trailing. Bama was driving to go up two scores late. I mean, that was an impressive ass win. I, it's pretty nuts to right after that hop on and say, "Oh, it's all a bunch of bullshit." I mean, you you can't can't backdoor that take. That was a hell of a win. It doesn't mean that the other stuff isn't real, but my answer on how to like cope with the stuff is you kind of have to tip your cap a little bit. And if, you, if that's too hard for you, just lay low. That's fine too. No one has to comment on everything. You don't have to issue some statement uh, on every single topic. I still to this day get random like, hey, why haven't you weighed in on this shit? Somebody messaged or tweeted at Chris Castellani, my buddy, who we'll talk about in a second, messaged him yesterday, say, hey, like, why haven't you weighed in on the Epstein stuff yet? <laughs> like, I, you don't have to say anything. But I think what you shouldn't do 
is, you know, go too hard on this, this cheating stuff because there'll be a time for that. For, for one, we've been doing it for months, but that'll be litigated. Uh, I don't think it's going to end well for Michigan on the procedural front and how this shakes out. The NCAA, which granted is a separate entity from the CFP, but if the NCAA vacates all the wins, it'll be in effect a revocation of whatever happens this Monday. Because I don't care what it says on on paper, like everyone is going to consider that a vacated title. You could do a random poll, people will get it wrong. Like people are just, it's going to be so tainted. I don't think that's going to go well for Michigan, is my prediction. I think it's a pretty informed, balanced opinion. But that day will come. Now is not the time. Um, I'm not saying you have to give them a back rub. I don't think it's a good look for Ohio State fans and Michigan State fans to be doing the wire, wire, pants on fire cheating routine. I just, I just think it's a, it looks, you look like a you know, sour grapes baby. So for as much as I poked the bear on them, and I did pick Bama pretty confidently and sincerely, not trolling, uh, you're not going to see a lot of, I don't think I've had any, cheating digs or anything in uh, this process in the past couple of weeks. Um, the fact is our program at Michigan State has been really bad for a couple of years and has been down really for a decade with a couple blips where it looked better for one year and then it went right back down. We don't have room to talk. Nothing made me more mad than when they would not shut the hell up when it was our turn to sit on the throne. And we had a nice run there with D'Antonio. Uh, even for at least one week, we had a, we were atop the throne, uh, sitting on the throne in 2021, even um, quickly unseated. They never really gave us our, our due. Uh, that drove me nuts, but I'm not going to throw it back at them. You know, shit. It's our turn to shut up. And uh, I'm not saying don't talk sports. People you know, say, oh, you can't stop talking about Michigan. Michigan's playing in the national championship game. If you're a sports fan, you're probably talking about them, certainly if you host a sports show. Um, but the, the cheating stuff, we just, we look like babies with that. Um, that was a hell of a win. And if this all gets blown away by the NCAA and the CFP committee doesn't about face after the fact, once they see more evidence or whatever, fine. We all know that's coming either way, pro or con, wherever you stand on that, but that's not being litigated now. And if you don't, Give them credit for it. That's fine, too. You know, I'm not saying you have to be out in the streets praising them. But, you know, maybe just lay low. I mean, maybe if you're Ohio State, because you had a longer run of dominance, you won a national title, like you're having really good seasons and just coming up short in the last game. They have a little bit more of a defensible bravado. Michigan State, I, we've won nine games in the last two years. So uh, I don't have shit to say. Congratulations to them. We'll see what happens at the end of this. But I mean, that's a hell of a team, and that'll, that'll be litigated. So that's my advice. And yes, for the record, this sucks. Everyone was, oh, why is he pushing for Urban Meyer so much? Because Urban Meyer's teams are never in this situation. Urban Meyer coached two decades, and his worst season was eight and four. So. There's no down bad as a fan of an Urban Meyer program. Um, and I'm not going to bring up the whole Urban thing in totality. But like people are saying, why do you want this? Why do you want this? It sucks to be bad. And it sucks even worse when you're really bad. And 
the school, the team you hate the most is really, really good. And we are at that peak level of unpleasant if you're a fan of Michigan State. Ohio State, not as bad. You're still good. You could win the national title next year if you hit on your quarterback in the transfer portal that they just got. But Michigan State, it's about as bad as it gets. Four and eight, Michigan is in the national championship game as a clear-cut favorite. This is why a lot of us, we're pushing for the big gun and the hire, and this is why a lot of us are begrudgingly tipping the cap to Michigan. This is their time, this is their day, and that's that. That sucks. Um, don't bitch and moan about it. Let's, let's go win some games. I hope Jonathan Smith figures it out. Um, I hope Michigan takes a backwards turn, and I hope they get hammered because I, I by the NCAA, because I'm not a fan of that program, and their success is a detriment to my potential success and that of my program. But I'm not going to pretend we're not seeing what we're seeing. So hats off to them. Their day will come for better or for worse in their case, and that's that. But they're a great team. We'll see what happens against Washington. I will be rooting hard, hard for the Huskies, of course, but uh, Michigan is the rightful favorite. Uh, finishing up, Chris Castellani. Um, Chris, I said it with Dan Campbell, speaking of things that I get messaged about all the time, uh, in, in all forms. What's going on with Chris Castellani at Barstool? Um, okay, there's a, lot, there's a lot going on with Chris, and there's a lot, I guess, not going on with Chris, which is part of the problem. Um, my opinion, from the perspective of like not a barstool fan, I'm not anti barstool, but like it's just not really my cup of tea. Uh, wish him well, not a cancel guy. Uh, my perspective is they have misused Chris Castellani from day one. So the people that are more in the anti Chris Castellani crowd tend to say like, oh, he he was awkward in this exchange, and oh, he had the substance abuse issue, and that's a liability for his employer, and. Always oh, mopey, like whatever the you know kind of greatest hits are of the anti Castellani uh, album. All of that stuff you can make the argument for. Go ahead. None of that happened before they were already, in my opinion, misusing him. You have, for my money, I was a fan of his before I was his friend. Now he's a dear friend of mine for full disclosure, but I was a big fan of his first. So. I can objectively say I'm not defending my friend like I liked him before he was my friend as a talent. You have an elite, in my opinion, and it's shared by many, an elite mic talent. This guy is an elite talent at this stuff. A plus. And from day one, he's been primarily a blogger or you know, guest appearances on other people's stuff or a very loosely and lightly produced podcast that was given no time and, and no backing and he's doing it sitting in his parents' living room. I mean, it's just, it's been kind of Mickey Mouse from an infrastructure standpoint from the very beginning. And so even if you're in the, oh, fuck Chris, or he did this, or he did that, or you're into the conspiracy theories, which I know aren't true, which are just asinine and irresponsible, by the way. <laughs> but even if you're a proponent of that, and that's fine, you can have that position. It's a fact all that stuff came after he was already being completely miscast and misused. Problem with, with Chris's situation at Barstool. Chris deserved the job. B 
because he is so talented. He deserved that opportunity. But he didn't get the job because he deserved it. He got it on a fluke with the Spencer Turnbull no-hitter, which if it doesn't happen, he doesn't have the reaction video. Portnoy doesn't hire him, see it. And we know Portnoy makes impulsive hires. Not the first time, not the last. So he deserved it. But the fact that he deserved it was almost a coincidence. He kind of stumbled into something that he happened to deserve, and he didn't get it on his merits, even though he had them. But that's not why he got them. He got them in this fluky situation. And the problem with that is there's no plan in place. So if you're like a typical media company, which Barstool is anything but that, they're atypical and that's part of their charm for their fan base. But if, if you're Fox Sports or if you're ESPN or even a smaller like John Boy Media, you're not making these hires, these targeted hires based on a single reaction video or a, an impulse or you had one too many bites of that pizza and you're groggy and you're a little bit off. Like You're not doing that. If you're poaching somebody from somewhere or bringing them in, you're targeting them, you're wooing them as a media company. You saw a lot in them and envision how they would help your company. You have a, a sort of general idea of how you would deploy them if they were on your payroll. Now, that's going to have deviations. Maybe things don't go exactly how you planned and you shift and it might be a complete 180. But the mindset's what matters. You go into that, you approach them, you offer that job because you've seen them work and you like their work. And you are envisioning how it can help your company and how you would incorporate them into your brand and into your content. But that's not what happened with Chris Castellani. Now, Portnoy, had he done due diligence, like a, a just traditional, like someone looking for diamonds in the rough or whatever, he would have plenty of ample evidence that Chris did deserve an opportunity with a bigger platform. But that's it's just not what happened. So when you go in with this impulse hire, there, there was no plan for the guy. And yes, after I think his whole, I mean, it's not that he was a total zero. I mean, he was out there and made appearances and it's not like he was doing nothing. I'm just saying he was underused by a large degree. I mean, they, he wasn't at a zero in terms of their use. He was probably at like a three when he should be closer to 10. So I'll, don't you know, send me because people have done that before. Like, oh, he, he's done this show. He did the yak. It's like, not what I'm talking about. It, he was a two or three out of 10 in terms of how much they were deploying him before any of the stuff that you want to pin on him. And yes, like Chris did have some issues, which he's been very transparent about. He was the last in-studio guest here and he talked about um, and has been very open about. It. And the only things that he has not been fully transparent about are because the choice to be transparent isn't his at all or certainly not solely his. I mean, I know what the situation is. His closest friends and family do. I can say it's nothing like what a lot of you people are saying. It's nothing that made me even think for two seconds about, oh, can I be friends with this guy? And nobody else has had that reaction either in his circle. It's not something like, oh my God, I love the guy, but I got to rethink this relationship for any of us. So I can't betray the trust on that. But like, let me just tell you what, what, the, what Chris did to get himself iced out at Barstool is nice. nothing illegal, nothing that anybody would say, oh my God, no. Like it, it, wouldn't, it would be pretty boring, to be honest. 
And I, I love you, Chris, but is there a worse candidate for a crazy, like sex fueled or drug fueled or crazy Vegas hangover style story than Chris Castellani? He's the worst candidate for it in the history of the world. It shouldn't even be that big of a leap of faith to take me at my word that the story's not that interesting. And what he did was not that bad or even it's, it's a one or two out of 10 on the scale of bad, in my opinion. And that seems to be shared. So I, I think it's important to, even though I can't get into the details out of respect for him, that's his story to tell if he ever does. It is important to come out right now and say like the, I'm not even going to repeat some of the, the rumor. I mean, it, it's insane. Um, like he, he might have to go Jimmy Kimball, Aaron Rodgers on you guys and issue a, a cryptic threatening tweet at, with some of you guys. Um, it's not that. I just, it's, I'm not trying to like, threaten any. I'm just, just telling you, like for your own sake, to, like stop that because it's not the case. Um, Chris is a good, fairly uninteresting in his private life guy. I say it with love, but he's not a guy you're going to trade war stories with about his conquests. He's, he's just a good dude and a chill dude and got a big heart. So once you acknowledge, if you can take the leap of faith, that there isn't some, what could he have done? Oh my God, there's something we don't know that would make sense. I think if you can get there and just take my word for it and the people in his circle, circle's word for it, I think you can start to look at the situation and say, shit. For whatever mistakes he's made, or you think he's struggled in this segment, or he's awkward on camera, or whatever, the guy's sitting in his basement a couple hundred miles away from the Chicago Barstool HQ, blogging his, his heart out, trying to earn his paycheck, and I commend him for that. He's doing all he can do, but just completely iced out of the company. And I'm not saying anything he hasn't said on his own live streams for the record. There's plenty I could, you know, that I know that I can't get into for more kind of color and background. But just, I'm not betraying any trust here. This is something he said on camera to his audience, in some cases, many times. That there's just, he's just like kind of plugging away in his parents' basement in Lansing. There's no plan for him. There never was, even before the issues. And um, so, you know, people keep asking me, What's going on? Like, what's the deal with Chris? Like, why isn't he allowed in Chicago? I can't tell you, but I can tell you it's not that salacious. And the party involved in this other than him is like, couldn't care less. <laughs> it was just so funny. Um, you know, it's, it's a shame. I, I, I think it'd be interesting to see like an alternative timeline with Chris where he does absolutely nothing wrong. He's like straight and narrow. There's no substance issue. Or if there is, he doesn't, you know, hit rock bottom or whatever. Like, it's just a complete boring, uneventful run without any issues. Like, what would that have looked like? Because they weren't using him before any of that stuff. Would it have eventually clicked? Maybe. Um, but it's, to me, it's, um, it's something I wanted to address this because I wanted to be able to pull a 20 minute clip. And every time I get a message like this, just direct people to this. I think it's, it's just important to kind of lay this out in a longer form and tweets aren't great for that. The bottom line is I think Chris is a, a big, big talent. I thought that way before I met him and way before I became his friend. Um, I don't think he's a fit at Barstool just because he's eccentric and they're 
odd and eccentric? Does it automatically mean that they should be allied, that they're a great fit? If you're in high school and there's two kids that dress in the gothic style and paint their fingernails black, does that mean they have to get along and eat lunch together and be friends? Does that mean they're, they have to be compatible because they're both you know, outcasts or fancy themselves as such and they dress similar ways? They're more likely to get along, but it's not automatic. Chris, Chris is eccentric, but he's not barstool eccentric, in my opinion. Um, I think he's, I, I don't mean this is a, there's a lot of good people at Barstool by many accounts, but like the, if not the people, the core of Barstool is kind of tear down and, and, you know, insult and, and belittle. And, and we saw it with the dunce cap with Mincy and Portnoy. And I'm not offended by any of that stuff. I don't care. But I'm not like being a moralist about that. But that's the, the sort of core of them is kind of gotcha, receipt dunking. I mean, me of all people, I'm not, not moralizing there. But that is what they are. It's a, it's a dunking, you know, tough culture. Chris is a sweetheart. Uh, he can clap back with the best of them. But at his core, he's just like a good dude. He doesn't want to do that shit. And I think they completely misused him, not out of malice, but they just he was a fluke hire who just happened to deserve it. But if they didn't recognize that, and he's only there because Turnbull threw a no-hitter and Portnoy caught eyes and had an extra piece of pizza and was laid up on the couch with a, uh, a carb crash. <laughs> You're not going into that business relationship, into that employment contract with any desire to actually work with the person, with any goal in mind. So you say, what's going on? What's going on? I, they didn't use him from the beginning or not nearly enough. And then he did have his issues. My opinion, he's being overpunished for his issues. And um, they're not that big of a deal. Now, I just said, I don't think they're a good fit. If I were Barstool, I'd probably be like, you're probably not a good fit here. You know, if you're more, you know, if, if you're sensitive to some of the stuff that goes there. I think Chris is too good of a guy to, you know, be happy there. Uh, doesn't it's not a bad thing about him or them. It's it's a fit thing, and I don't I don't think it is a fit. I've told him repeatedly that I didn't think it was a fit, just as his friend, and like, hey, have you looked at it from this perspective, that perspective? Um, Chris loves Barstool, man. That guy loves Barstool, and he was a huge fan of Barstool for years uh, before he even dreamt that it might be a possibility to work there. Um, so I, I, from that perspective, he's a friend of mine. That's what he wants. I want my friends to get what they want. I just, from a media analyst perspective, I think he was misused and I think he deserves a lot better than he's getting from them. And, uh, as far as renewal, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I certainly doesn't seem like he has any idea, but. If you read the tea leaves, I mean, complete iced out, not in Chicago, um, clearly not welcome in Chicago. Uh, seems like an edict to me. I mean, he didn't say that, but it's, it's been made pretty clear on his end that he's not welcome there. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? That contract is up in May, which, um, excuse me, he disclosed. So. What do you make of this? Uh, five or so months left? 
doesn't look good, uh, you know, for, for the Barstool thing. In my opinion, the best thing that could happen to him. What, what kind of status quo are you trying to preserve? <laughs> you're, you're completely on the outside. You were never used properly to begin with. To me, I'm like, as his friend, beam, and a fan of his, beaming at the possibilities. Shit, you can go anywhere. You can start new. You can do your own thing. You can call John Boy. You, you can call Bally. Everybody in the Detroit media loves the kid. So I, to me, I'm like, man, TikTok, like, when's May coming up? Like, get you out of there and let's get, get a fresh start. For other people that are rooting for him, and I think for Chris, it's more of like a ticking time bomb and, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Um, you know, Chris and I differ on that. Uh, but, you know, love the guy, but, you know, the constant questions of what's going on, what's going on, that's the best I can tell you is you, know, you blame him all you want. There was no plan for that guy. Completely underused. You have a great, great mic talent. And you want to point to this awkward interview or that awkward exchange, whatever. The kid is self-admitted, diagnosed on the spectrum. He's, he's you know, he's on the spectrum. Like, it's, he's very open about this. Yeah, there's, there's going to be moments. That guy's an ace. That guy is really, really good. Chris is really, really talented. And you got that guy doing the same thing that you could have a high school kid do, just blog while you're living at home. Don't come to the office. We're about six months away from being able to program a bot to completely undetectably produce this type of content. It was a, it was a bad use of the guy. It's bad use of the asset. Bad use of, of the skill set. And yes, Chris made his own contributions, but um, you know, to things not working out. But to me, it was never a it was never working. Um, and I still I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him and however that looks, I hope Barstool wakes up and uses him differently, and then it's the best of both worlds. He's happy he's staying there. I'm happy because he's doing something other than live reaction videos, which anybody can do. They're I mean, Chris is is good, he's interesting. They are a dime a dozen. Everybody does that shit. Blogs are a dime a dozen. Chris on the mic is not a dime a dozen. So got to get that guy back on a microphone and doing like actual content and like maybe give him, God forbid, a little backing. I'm telling you right now, if Chris ever gets backing from an employer or a private donor, or if he hits the lottery and just sell funds, whatever, if he ever has like a produced well-run operation behind him, even not, not all the bells and whistles, just a decent C minus setup to the moon with that guy. But he's never had that, including at Barstool. They helped with the platform, but in terms of actual support, yeah, he's doing his podcast sitting at the kitchen table at his parents' house. They gave him like seven weeks and then pulled the plug. Joe Rogan was doing shows for two, three years before anybody listened. It's just, the guy's never had a chance. So we'll see. I'm, I'm rooting against what he's rooting for because I think it'll be the best for him in the long run. But um, for all those asking, uh, there's nothing salacious. If there was something so bad, somebody in his circle would have turned their back on him, even if they were being a little bit of a prude. <laughs> Nobody's done that. Everybody that loved Chris two years ago still loves him now. Um, so it's interesting. I'm, I'm following these next five months uh, with great interest, but 
the guy's too good to be a bench warmer. And that's what he is. That's what he's been relegated to. Um, they're wasting him. Uh, and we all lose if you're a fan of content and sports content in this space. Uh, ben Augusta, my producer, is the man. Ben, we might have to get you helping out, Chris, because I mean, you guys as a pairing, ooh, man, you, you might leave me in the dust. You might never talk to me again. I, I, ben, I think you should do something with Chris. You got to give, give him like two weeks pro bono if he needs it, Ben. Um, that's what I want to see. Ben, you're the man. Eric, whom I have not seen in like months at this point, but is on my payroll, I guess, uh, just like Casalotti is at Barstool, even though they, they never see him. Um, appreciate you, Eric. So tonight, in closing, we were going to have a big special Michigan State guest. I'm not going to spoil it now, but uh, the guest arrived in East Lansing today and still seemed to the very end, even as recently as this morning, open to, to coming in. Uh, but it's just too much. I, 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 it's too much for the guy. But that's coming very soon. I, easily top five most excited I've ever been for an episode. Very, very soon. It'll probably be our next one. Seven to ten days. Target. Stay tuned for that one. Screw Avenue. We'll see you next time. Thanks.